Welcome to the Fishers of Men podcast, brought to you by us at So Much Media. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. I'm Laura Samara Sands. This podcast is about relationships and your walk with Jesus. It's about the true stories of Christian men and women's struggles with chastity, sex, marriage, and relationships in a post-Christian culture. Welcome to another episode of Fishers of Men. We are here with Daniel Johnson. Friend of the show. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. Yeah, it's been a while, but yeah. I'm glad we could hook up again. This is great. Hooking up again. <laughs> you know, that That's is probably a term it. we don't want to... <laughs> yeah, my sisters told me I used that in all the wrong places, actually. So it's, it's nothing more than just good to see both of you. It's Thank good you. to see you Likewise. again. Awesome. Well, here we are talking about, well, previously we had talked about breakups Mm -hmm. and the revenge dress. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. How to, like a proper way to express anger. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Now we're talking about how to face rejection in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. So how do we face rejection in a healthy Mm. way? (laughs) Well, I, I guess, um, in my past wisdom, on July 17th, 2018, posted a quote about this Let's hear it. Uh, on my Facebook, and then Facebook reminded me of it just in time for this conversation. Oh my gosh, how fortuitous. I know. So it, it's a quote from Henry Nowen, who is like my favorite. Every time you feel hurt, offended, or rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth is even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am a chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity, and held safe in an everlasting embrace. Hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of wisdom in that. Um, And and the first one that strikes me is, you know, feelings are a pretty mediocre guide to truth, Hmm. you know. They they can tell us if something is good or bad for us, or if um, you know maybe even a little more elevated if it, if we like it or not. And and anger is the only one where the intellect kind of begins to enter in and and start telling us a message about something. You know, it usually is a response to an injustice. So there does have to be like a little a little um, observation of reality with anger. But the crushing depression that is rejection Mm. is not the world's greatest indication of what kind of a person I am or the truth that you know I am as as he said so you know there is a tremendous amount of love present in your life already the love of the creator and the love of the savior if not you know the love of your family to you know and and the love of your friends so yeah I that's a beautiful quote it definitely puts rejection into a great context yeah yeah, because, um, well, the reason why I wanted to talk about this is I think I think we've all experienced rejection. Sure. <laughs> mm, absolutely. Unless one of you has had a, <laughs> a, an amazingly perfect well. life so far. I think even within the, the relationships that are close and good to us, I think even within our close relationships, we still feel rejection. Yeah. So I think it's a good thing to talk about because you still mm. feel it. You know, it maybe it's a self-esteem thing. Maybe it's a where am I placing my identity thing? Where am I placing my value thing? Um, but we're hoping that you can enlighten us a little bit. <laughs> yeah, how not to tell ourselves the story that the rejection is who we are mm. or that it's sure. because of who we are. And I think this is also particularly important. I mean, I, I think it's really important for every. Thing because we all get rejected for jobs that we want mm-hmm. or opportunities, hobbies, even, I think. Like, yeah, or even just know. kind of the, the kind of offhanded rejection that comes when a friend is too busy to spend time with us. Totally. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and then the obvious romantic rejection, which I see... Um, a lot of people online posting about, and especially men. So I felt it was really important to talk to a man. Sure. <laughs> um, because uh, I don't, I don't know uh, these these guys that uh, some of my guy friends. It's really concerning the level of blame on other people mm-hmm. uh, that they go to when they're rejected, and I feel like. 
every other day, I basically see a Facebook post about like, oh, women are so picky or like the reason why I'm single is because women are horrible basically and they don't know what's sitting right in front of them and Mm -hmm. or they're crazy or like my friend just posted it was so funny I woke up in the morning I was like I just know I'm gonna see some kind of stupid comment about how women are picky today like I just I just like (laughs) intuited it and then my friend posted I saw almost immediately after that he was like, if a woman has been single for over a year, is pretty, has a job, and is sane, that means she's too picky and you never have a chance. Or you live in L.A., one of the two, <laughs> you know. Um, or there are hundreds of other possibilities yes, indeed, of right, what could right. be going on. And it has nothing to do with either you or the woman being picky or insane or sure. not having a job. Or, you know, it's like we can't just easily classify and put people into these like really black and white categories and so hopefully you can explain to us and everyone how not to do that no i mean it's interesting i i approaching this conversation um i didn't quite know how to prepare i was so i'm glad you brought up your experience because that's definitely i think um what's going to be interesting about this is kind of seeing how men and women experience rejection and experience what other people are going through when they are rejected. I think that's that's, um, going to be an interesting part of this conversation. So, um, you know, and and to you, kind of your latter point, there could be a thousand things going on. I mean, that's the the magic and beauty of psychology is it's not uh, a, a precise science the way math or physics is, right? So if somebody's over there whining about how picky women are, you know, that could be for a thousand reasons, just as the women who are being quote-unquote picky, you know, the, the perhaps it's better to say the woman he's feeling rejected by probably has a thousand different possible reasons for why she rejected the guy, not least of which he seems to whine a lot. You know, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the thing that bothers me is, is when people assign blame in order to not take responsibility for themselves. Sure, and, and so approaching this question, I had two kind of general thoughts and that's the first one really is um when you're rejected for any reason be it a job or romantic you know it a good first step is to take a look inward and see what in me you know precipitated or brought this about you know um so uh, i got fired slash quit from a job we'll let whatever decide <laughs> decide what happened there um but you know there were certainly some things in me that were i wasn't doing you know and i had there were a lot of reasons i wasn't doing those things so there was a lot of motivation to be fired slash quit depending on which side of that argument <laughs> you're on um so you know that's the first step is what in me is going to address, or it seems to me, asking the question, what in me is going to address this or, or precipitated this? And more importantly, do I need to change that? Or is this just a situation that's not going to work out right now? And yeah. maybe I go somewhere else, you know? But how do you, uh, like, where's the limit between taking responsibility and examining what you might need to change and self-loathing? Sure. Yeah. Just, just mm. constantly, and that's you know the the perhaps more stereotypically female response, but it, it certainly happens to a lot of guys. I mean, I I vividly remember um, being denied a second date over text, which I thought was like really rude, but whatever. Um, <laughs> we do what we got to do, I guess. Um, and you know, I spent probably a good month. It was summertime, so I had nothing else to do. I wasn't teaching at the time, so I had plenty of time. Oh, to, lots of time to, to dwell. Lots of time to hate myself, you know? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I vividly remember doing that, but I also vividly remember, you know, blaming the girl, too, um, in other instances. So how to avoid... So what's the fine line between responsibility and self-loathing? I mean, it seems to me that um, those things for which I have chosen to do... Or those bad things I've chosen not to correct, that's the stuff I'm responsible for. The trick there, it seems to me, is figuring out what that is. And I think that comes from friendships or from, you know, other people's observation. We are our own worst kind of physician. 
you know, we're our own worst psychologist, we're our own worst spiritual guide. Mm. I think you need somebody else to go, you know, in the guy's case, you know, dude, you are kind of obnoxious, you know. Um, and I don't, I actually have no clue how women handle that. Get, you know, to quote C.S. Lewis, I'm, I'm sure they do it some way, but not being one, I can't tell you, you know, how <laughs> they go about it. So, I mean, that would be interesting, you know, how is it your girlfriends, have they ever been a, an asset to you in understanding your dating life? Or, I am kind of aware that there's this kind of competition among women, which is a little more acrimonious than guys. I mean, guys' competition, we tend to, you know, punch each other and go out for a drink, right? <laughs> so, I don't know. Um, it'd be interesting to hear. Well, often it's not so much, well, first of all, thank you for that. I think that is a lot of the the job of the church too, but, you know, within our inner circles, our close friends, hopefully they have, you love each other enough to be able to call each other out, right? On your, on your BS or, or whatever it is. But people are afraid to do that, I think. People are afraid to come off offensive. Oftentimes, even just with my own girlfriends, it's it's like bashing the thing that rejected you. Whether yeah. it's sure. the job Usually. or the guy or the parent or the whatever. It's often this, come on girls, we can band together. They, you know, you're too good for that thing. And, you know, there's a time and place and I think, you know, there's a time for you to feel you need that you need in your state of rejection and feeling that self-loathing you need your friends to build you up yeah however to your point like that that fine line of responsibility and self-loathing i mean there has to be a point where your friends again should love you enough to be like okay now that we have some distance maybe it's a couple of you know it's time it's a couple of months or whatever like let's let's come back to that and let's talk about it in a healthy way in a constructive way Especially, you know, I'm sure we have all experienced it where somebody is like keeps getting either the same kind of person and it's like it doesn't work out and or they re- they're attracted to the same kind of person and they just don't learn or or whatever it is, but they like keep doing the same tactic. There's the also a healthiness to like I am who I am and the right person will love me for who I am. At the same time, we are also to grow right? We are also called to, if that's spiritually, if that's like just mature, to mature more, there should always be room for growth, whatever that looks like. So I I don't know what that is. You know, with our girlfriends, it's always, it, it, it seems more like trying to build each other up. And I think, if I may say, we should be more open to, I don't want to say criticize, because that sounds awful, but more like, Hey, let's have real talk. Sure. Yeah. No, and it, it's. I think it's. I think it's kind of a function of our modern society, perhaps, that we don't have friendships which are deep enough that can that can withstand criticism. You know, as you pointed out, kind of in the beginning, there's this automatic move with your friend to to back them up no matter what and then to have to wait several months before you ever get to a point in the in the conversation where you can say no i maybe maybe you need to look at yourself here a little bit i i think the another factor that complicates it is your friends only hear one side of the story yeah sure And it takes a lot of honesty and introspection and self-reflection to actually tell that story honestly and see like okay well yeah maybe when I was texting him four times a day that or you know what with no response that yeah. might have been annoying or you know like okay just, maybe just anecdotally I really encourage my clients who are dating to limit text to like once a day oh really you know, I'm, I'm really big on that you know if you're gonna have a relationship it needs to be all of you you know it needs oh. to be your, your body language it needs to be your tone of voice but I may be an antiquarian I don't think the vast majority of people dating come anywhere near that and I think most people have a mildly successful dating life at some point. I think so. there's something to that. You should write a book. Because <laughs> because technology has really screwed us up as far as I mean if you think of even just like online dating. I don't think anything's wrong with online dating, mm-hmm. but it's the mode in which it's so easy for us to just like swipe left, swipe right and just like ba- we talked about it on the show before where we're just making a judgment of someone based on like a couple of things, but we never get to a place um, where 
you know, if you are in person and you're learning about this person in real time versus like their whole biography right up front or their curated biography right up front, I mean, that's a whole different way that you're going to approach that person. You know, you already have something in your mind about that person because of what they put on their profile. Mm -hmm. But if they are spending time with, I mean, we had a guest um, a a few weeks ago, like the four-man plan, but her whole thing was like, give people chance because there's only so much that you're going to learn from somebody on even just the first date, you know, like give chances. And then there comes a point where you cut loose or whatever. Sure. But giving people chances is important because even the first impression, right, on a first date, like you might be nervous or like whatever. There might be circumstances. Yeah, no one has figured out good dating skills. I think there's a lot of wisdom to that and and kind of drawing back to our conversation, how to to deal with rejection and using your friends. It seems to me, you know, to your point, Mary Ashley, about only seeing one side, it seems to me that kind of in your, your... traditional society, if such a thing ever existed, I guess, I don't know. Um, sometimes I've, I wonder. Um, <laughs> your The people you date would come naturally out of that friend group, and your friends actually... And you probably knew each other that. your entire lives to growing up. To some degree, and, yeah. sure. And, and so there's, there's a sense there that, you know, yeah, I'm rejected by this person, but I have all these deep friendships who can help me out, as long as I'm not a stubborn jerk. You know, but also I can trust that being rejected by this person, I have this whole social network around me, parents, yeah. family, friends who are going to, you know, I would imagine the rejection perhaps wasn't so keenly felt like all sorrow and loneliness in our generation. It's amplified by the fact that we're physically isolated. That's so true. And we don't necessarily have a social support net to really fall back on, you know, like you said, you had just ample time to sit and yep. <laughs> dwell. Yep. All the good teachers had a job for the summer, so I couldn't commiserate oh, with them. No. You know? so, so you had like <laughs> double rejection too. Sure. sure. Um, yeah. I and the thing is too is with people with being available digitally, you know, we like to think like, oh, they're potentially available. of the time digitally. And so if you get rejected digitally, there's some, I think it makes it worse because I think it used to be where you might see someone two or three times and then, you know, you might really not see them again. Or if you did, like maybe they still lived in your neighborhood or something, but you know, it wasn't the same as like texting and not getting a response back Sure. or knowing that that person has read your message yeah, and that's just, so and they're just, and they're just yeah. not, you know, or, or you well, know. It's interesting. I have clients who come in all the time, and that's what's driving them nuts is I know they read it, or I sent it an hour ago. Why don't they love me? Oh, and and they've, they've oh. created this whole, as you as you said at the beginning, Mary Ashley, this narrative around the fact that they aren't loved. And it's like, yeah. it's not that you're not loved. It's that they're at work. Yeah. It's that they're doing... It, a thousand other things, you know? I mean, let's be real. Sometimes it is that somebody is just trying to ghost you. I mean, that is a reality as well. But I think what I would love to get at is how do we deal with it in a healthy way, meaning how do I not make it my whole world and my whole identity is hinging on how this person is going to respond to me, whether it's texting me back or if they even want to eventually end up with me or whatever. What or and how do like? I not like engage in self-destructive behaviors because yes. mm-hmm. of this? Yeah, yeah, I, I vividly remember a bottle of vodka after that breakup. So yeah, good <laughs> question. Um, you actually but, remembered uh, it. Well, I remembered that it was there in the house. I, don't, I can't tell you what happened to it. But, so uh, great coping strategy. <laughs> hey, yeah. So long as you buy the small ones, right? You know, sure, yeah. Too bad. It's the handles you gotta watch out for. Um, so yes. Um, well, so in one sense, your question is, how do I have enough? you know, kind of self-esteem or self-worth such that a rejection, especially early in the dating process, isn't the end of the world to me. It sounds like that's part of your question at least. Um, and, you know, I go around 
helping my clients and myself build self-worth through a lot of, you know, going back to the story of your life and finding those instances where, you know, I wasn't rejected or where it did work out with a girl to a certain point or where, you know, what this person is criticizing me for wasn't the case, you know. Um, and then, of course, there's always, as, as we said in the beginning, the, the possibility and, and the genuine reality that sometimes, you know, she protected me for a good reason. You know, I just either I wasn't a good fit or there's something in me I got to fix. It, it'll be interesting to kind of conceptualize the causes of the grief that come out of being rejected. And and one of them, it seems to me, is going to be kind of having a lack of, of uh, a sense of self-worth in a situation. You know, if... And, okay, so the, the exaggerated version of this would be, you know, a certain, you know, politician we all know could get rejected by every, you know, uh, Miss America in the world and still think he's the greatest thing on the planet, right? So I think there are some guys who have so much self-worth and exaggerated self-worth. narcissists. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's narcissism. <laughs> right. No, so, so on the spectrum of human disposition, you know, that being the most extreme and the guy who is so nervous he can't even say hi to a girl at a mm-hmm. dance or something, yeah. you know, somewhere on the I think the experience of rejection is made worse for the wallflower and is non-existent for the president, you know? So so I think part of what goes into at least a guy's experience of rejection is being aware that, uh, I think to use one of your words earlier, you know, this will work out someplace else. I don't really need to change a whole lot. Or, you know, even if I do need to change something, fine. There'll be somebody else. There's plenty of fish in the pond, right? Or whatever mm. the phrase is. Someone um, would love me for exactly how I am. Yeah, and and that one I always take, you know, that that's a good cliche. It's one I always take a little pause with because part of the, the experience of being married is growing and changing together, right? Yes. And so I think, you know, exactly how I am you know, at least in the the Christian framework, you're always trying to improve whether you're single, married, celibate, or widowed, or what have you, you right. know. They're, exactly how I am is never where you want to be. Exactly. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Um, Biblically, it, I mean, we're always striving for more sanctification, right? Sure. And more holiness, more righteousness through Christ. So. Right. And, you know, that doesn't mean that everybody who's striving for a spiritual life is going to to be a perfect match you know there's there's chemistry involved there's you know the big personality the big five you know the extroversion introversion and all the rest of it you know those have to be you know matched to some degree or at least be things that you have learned to deal with you know when there is a big difference you know like an extroversion introversion difference you know um Kind of a, a classic example would be like Tsar Nicholas and his wife Alexandra. She couldn't talk to a stranger at all, and yet she had to always go to these royal Whoa. functions with tons of. So she would sit in a chair, you know, at the far end of the room, and he would navigate the room, and then come back and tell her what everyone said, and then navigate the room and come back. And you know, that's an extreme example of. But you know, so we're getting a little afield here. I know. <laughs> Wait, but can you say what the big five are? Isn't it like agreeableness? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, openness, neuroticism, consciousness, agreeableness, and extroversion. Okay. Um, I had two of five. But yeah, I mean, we could go through them a little bit here. But the the idea is these are kind of the the f- foundational dimensions of one's personality. So the degree to which you're going to um, be interested in something new or something routine. That would be kind of your openness. Uh, so I guess, actually, this reminds me quite vividly of client right now the big struggle actually is she wants more spontaneity and he's quite fine (laughs) the way things are Mm. you know things are why are we changing anything yeah Um, so it's interesting you know you get playful with those kind of things because that actually if there is a um uh, you know breaking point with this couple that is probably it is you know he's just not spontaneous enough and she does some crazy stuff you know she's it's too spontaneous Mm. so you know, but you'd be playful about it. And, you know, the the one who wants to be 
or is less open, you know, you get to play a game. What I get to do three things this week that are absolutely spontaneous, and that's my quota. So we go play the game, you know, and he goes and finds something fun, and you know, because he knows it's a way of showing love to his his significant other, um, even though it's not a delight to him, it's a way of showing love. Hmm. So, and and that's kind of the story around you would tell yourself around doing these difficult things is it's a way of showing her I love her Mm, even though it's uncomfortable right adaptability sure for the sake of the person you love precisely precisely so would you say rejection then is two people one of them at least is just unwilling to adapt and certainly something like red flags would or you know uh, my deal breakers or what simple. it it is i'm mm-hmm. trying to get a conversation going as far as <laughs> what does what what is is rejection like rejection is a real thing but are we tr- do we tell ourselves like we were rejected or in a healthy way do we just say it didn't work out because x y z he's not spontaneous or not whatever enough for me or whatever and mm-hmm. you know i don't want us to lie to ourselves but what is that way to basically heal you know like certainly for believers it's my identity is in christ you know i am loved of the father but in a human way because we are all still human like how how do we practically get outside of me feeling that rejection whether it's a parent whether it's a lover whether it's a this or that a close friend you know we all, we all fall into that trap of feeling rejection. It seems to fall into how they made me feel. Mm-hmm. And healing from that is clinging to something, knowing that, oh, this, for lack of better phrasing, you know, God had a better plan. Or like, what what do we tell ourselves? Or how do we deal with it? Do we let ourselves fall into feel that rejection just really feel it and then like out of that depressing mode come out of it it seems to me there do, there does have to be some active work involved in in coming out of it it's uh, to simply feel the sorrow or or the depression that comes from rejection or the anger that comes from depression it wouldn't change anything and it wouldn't move you past the emotion so yeah i do think you need to to do something that informs either your thoughts, so the story you tell yourself, or something that informs, um, that changes your behavior, either so that in the future you don't feel, you don't get rejected, or so that in the present I'm not doing things that reinforce the sorrow or the, or the anger. So, you know, the classic one is when you're angry, go for a run or go punch, uh, you know, go punch something, you know. Um, so that would be the simple kind of in the moment, how do I deal with this emotion here and now? Yeah. But to the broader question of, you know, am I rejected? Um, and that would be kind of attacking your thoughts or attacking the story. Um, yeah, I, you got to look at yourself and you got to look at the other person's motivations or their statements. So, the, the girl I was rejected from uh, via text, you know, there's no information there for me to go with. We had one date, you know, I could rerun that date pretty well, I think even still, frankly. And so I, I start crafting a story about what are the things you talked about? What are the things you did and said that would possibly put somebody off? Um, and so I'm generating all this story, but I have no info from her. Yeah. So really for me, the, the way, frankly, to deal with that is one of those topics. So I brought up money probably a little too much, um, I think, probably too much. And so now money is kind of one of the last things I bring up. In, in the context of a date or if I bring it up at all, or f- which is difficult because I'm building a small business and I'm doing lots of different things. So it actually is kind of on my mind all the time is right. what I'm doing As with an money. entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, it's like always there. So um, to say nothing of, you know, trying to retire one day while living in L.A., so <laughs> which is oh foolish. So, yeah, it's it's so I had to reflect on it myself and draw out a lesson from it and now I act on that lesson but was still without knowing see I have no I have no proof I have no friends I have nothing yeah Yeah. and that's the funny thing is that because sometimes I know I've rejected guys over things that I think they probably 
I mean, I think it's very likely they have zero idea about. Sure. Um, like recently I talked to this guy on just on the phone and I've kind of come to the conclusion at this point in my life, like any guy that gives me unsolicited life advice um, based on basically nothing where I'm not complaining, I'm not asking for help. Um, like this particular guy, he said, so let me put on my life coach hat and tell you what you really mean. And I was like, okay, we're done. Yeah. I don't think that's the kind of person that has the introspection to seriously reflect. Cause he just texted me the other day after I hadn't texted him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he asked if I wanted to go out. I didn't say anything. And then he texted me like two weeks later again after me having no response. So I, that's kind of the danger, you know, sure. and it's like, well, and, and keep in mind, you're, you're dealing with honest feedback because I honestly don't want to. Like, no, I don't think it's on anyone to give honest feedback. Unless, well, maybe I mean, your best friend, your best friend but, and spouse. Yeah. You know, a yeah. fiance, probably dating for a year. Yeah. Okay. But anyone less than that? No, it's not your, I'm not saying she's obligated after one day to tell me why. Yeah. You know, it, it just, uh, my experience is that it would have been a lot clearer and easier to deal with. Yeah. Because, you know, I... Which, I've, that makes sense. You know. Yeah. Because you need... You do need something to inform your thoughts to so that I know what to do Well, next I mean, time. let me ask you. When yeah. you brought up money, did you notice anything in her behavior that... Oh, I'm so nervous on first dates. I don't remember any of her behavior. Goodness, no. I mean, perhaps. So that could have... Yeah, that would have been the, the clue, wouldn't it? To, to look yeah. back and think, you know, did she look away did she get quiet something like that look down she... change the subject or... sure yeah. and and frankly you know i i'm so focused on myself trying to keep my my stuff together during a date yeah I that's why no first clue. dates are not good indicators of anything <laughs> yeah, of anything right i know but the, that's the that's the thing right like you have to get past the first date mm-hmm. you know but oh, well i i'm still going to stick with my red flag of unsolicited life advice well and so I'm, I'm okay with that well. uh, as your friend that's okay and so what would be interesting is what does it mean to you when somebody gives you unsolicited life advice you know yeah does, what does that tell you about the person or tell you about yourself well because for me it tells me that because uh, this is definitely not the first time it's happened it tells me that he's not really listening to me um, and not really, yeah, basically picking up on um, what's really happening and wants to feel important and wants to feel mm-hmm. respected probably in an unhealthy way. Kind of showing off to you that he knows the right thing. A little bit. Sure. But also at the same time sort of demeaning me or because the impression that I get because okay, like for example um another time it's happened I was on a first date with this guy and we had just sat down kind of we were talking about what we do for a living and I was like you know yeah I'm a producer and expressed no discontent with my life at all I, I just stated very matter-of-factly this is what I do for a living and he was like you know if I could go back in time I would tell your former self to study at this one school and I was like what that's pretty presumptuous like yeah (laughs) yeah and and he was like and then he was like well you know you could always teach and I was like excuse me what like I I never said like I'm a producer but it's not working out or I'm a producer and I hate it or you know I'm really looking for a fallback or you know and so that kind of told me that he would not be the kind of person to really build me up and support me Mm -hmm. in what I want to do and and so this this other guy that I just talked on the phone with when he was like okay so like let me put on my life coach hat. Um, it was because, again, first conversation, and he brought up, okay, so what are you looking for? What do you want, like, out of dating? And I was like, well, if you're going to bring this up, uh, I'm going to be honest and say that I want to get married. And he was like, okay, well, let, let me put on my life coach hat and tell you that when you say you want to get married, you're you're really saying you want to find the right person to get married to. And I was like, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because if I just so, wanted to get so married. Not very insightful for a life coach, but go on. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, if I just wanted to get married, I would not be single right now. Like, if that's all I wanted out of life, you know. Exactly. And, and to me, that's yeah. so self-evident that I don't know why you needed to say it. Yeah. And, yeah. and so that just kind of told me that, that, I mean, he was sort of like trying to explain my own life to me and my own and he's known you Once. all but five minutes. Literally five minutes, yeah. And I was like, okay, mm. I don't think we need to talk anymore because, you know, I just... 
so so it is it's a hard line because on the one hand I do believe like you know yeah anything could happen on a first date people can be nervous it could be you know the temperature the moonlight the you know like any, any number of factors that but at the same time I have also learned the importance of trusting your gut sure and that's what's so interesting about rejection is that sometimes there is no one thing that you can pinpoint like that. Like this guy said X, Y, Z and I'm out. It's a chemical thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, sometimes it's just like, I just have a gut feeling that it just, I'm just not attracted to them or, you know, it's just not, it just wouldn't work out or, you know, yeah. Well, and I, I think that's precisely the story more people need to tell themselves in those kind of early dating rejections or even the pre-first date rejections is, you know, there's a thousand and one things that go into making this work. And Well, and also, yeah, like I've, I mean, it, it's sometimes it's not even gut. It's like, I know I haven't been in the right place. Like I used to work at a hospital and I, it's like, if you were texting me when I was literally watching a child die before my eyes that's not the right time to text me and i would probably end up rejecting you inadvertently just because of what's going on in my life sure you know you know sometimes there were things that i was still needing to heal because i was hung up on somebody else sometimes you know i was just super depressed and wasn't going out with anyone at all even my best friends you know like there's just been like just so many reasons why you could be rejected by someone and it kind of makes me sad in a way that we don't see things in a more holistic way with like many different shades of gray no the the immediate assumption is i'm bad or i did something wrong for a lot of us for anyone who's not a narcissist that's the immediate assumption is that you know is the shame that i i am wrong right you know i mean when i got that text from from that young lady my first thought was you know you're a total screw up you're never going to make this work you know, it, and of course, it's hot and miserable and you deserve this because, you know, life should be miserable for you and, and on mm. and on and on and on. You know, this this cascade of thoughts and emotions that come with that. Somebody else didn't like you. You know, somebody else didn't want to go out with you. And what's interesting, too, is like if you that can also become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Sure. Yeah. You know, yep. you know, and that's kind of what I'm really interested in is like how to really change these thoughts and change this pattern. Because especially because I've been watching Pin 15. Have you all seen it? No. Hulu? Oh, it's so, it's so funny. <laughs> so, because it's set in, I think the year 2000. Um, and, and about, it's about middle school in the year 2000. Oh gosh. And, oh, and, and the art, design like everything is so perfect in terms of like the way life really was so it's really like if you don't want to take a trip to middle school in your minds Mm -hmm. like it's you know but I've been reflecting a lot about middle school because the girls are like so nerdy and they're like super dorky and stuff and they like guys that don't like them and but I've been thinking a lot about how I think probably my own personal narrative of rejection started in middle school that I didn't think anyone was interested in me and that that just sort of became my narrative of no one wants me no one wants me no one, you know like because I can think back to so like I had like a couple like so this one guy in sixth grade I remember he like asked me to a dance and so after that I thought we were dating and then I was like I don't really like him that much and so I sent him a note like break quote unquote breaking up with him and then he was like wait we were dating oh dear oh dear (laughs) and I felt all this like guilt over it over like breaking up with him and I was like wow that pattern has been repeated in my life multiple Mm. times um but I I can like remember um too like sitting on the in the bleachers in middle school like just with my head in my hand like like I would I went up by myself to the like top bleacher and I was just like watching everybody else dance and just feeling like super sad about it and like Mm -hmm. just and so how like that core like shame and rejection how like at some point that became part of my identity and my story which I think has inadvertently like subconsciously led led to rejections because i've been already convinced of it and Mm. telling myself that you've been predisposed or or um in those initial moments of a relationship you don't um uh, kind of let things unfold on their own you've got this story it's kind of like like not studying for a test so that when you fail 
you you already have an excuse. yeah like oh i, I didn't sure. care yeah you're like whatever yeah like the self it's not because i'm self-sabotage yeah. so i guess um, the i mean the the kind of digging deep moment there for you is in those first moments of a relationship how does that story present itself mm. how do i project that or how do i kind of uh, to use a, a very popular term, how do I manifest that in the, those early moments? It's interesting that you pick up on junior high there because, or middle school, because uh, that's, of course, where the vast majority of people have their first experience of, of an intimate relationship or, or lack thereof or and very conscious lack thereof. And so, yeah, probably digging back to those very first relationships would be really important to understanding how I deal with rejection in, in the present. You actually were proactive in your rejection. You you rejected him first mm -hmm. in that first one. <laughs> but you've also seen that, you know, most people weren't asking you out or mm -hmm. weren't interested. It's interesting in my own case. I mean, I basically did four months of junior high, and then I went to an all-boys high school, so I didn't oh. have much to... I didn't pay attention to much, you know. It, just, it, it wasn't really on my radar until probably junior year of high school when I realized the other guys all had dating lives and I hadn't pursued that because it was boarding school. Why would I do that? Um, it's just inconvenient to do. So, <laughs> the but, practical one. Yeah, perhaps. So, yeah, and, and it, it probably, you know, influences my own choices of, of who I ask out on a date. I'm looking for somebody who, who has a lot of dimensions of their life already together. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm not looking for a lot of work, you know. Yeah. So... Well, ideally, no one's looking for a project. <laughs> right. Well, some are, and, and that just astounds me when they come into the into the therapy room. I'm like, why would you want to spend your life fixing another person? Aren't you hard enough? You know? Mm. But it's Being just, in your own eye, right? It's my own disposition, but not for everyone, I suppose. Mm. Okay, so, so let's say, like, we have this narrative we've talked a little bit about changing our thoughts so can you give us some like practical i know so because i used to um, be an interpreter for therapists so one thing that they would say and you can correct me if uh i'm misremembering but like the moment you have a thought you can go ahead and correct it right then and replace it with something else yeah have a have a dialogue with that thought so hmm. and and really one of the practical ways I get clients to do that is really through journaling is you know write down what that thought is and then correct it critique it put it in context you know so when I'm having the thought that I'm rejected because I talk too much about money I can put that down in the journal and then you know to challenge that I could talk about all the reasons it's actually good to talk about money because that's like a really important part of every relationship, right? The Especially, number one reason why people divorce, right? Right. So it's it's the important that someone's cause aware of, arguments of it. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So you know, it's actually really good that I'm proactive about this issue. You know, I have never told myself that story, but I probably should have there maybe back then. You why not? Found it. There it is. So you're welcome, Daniel. You are <laughs> healing. We everyone. are here to help you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, ladies. No, it it and that's really yeah talk to that kind of have a dialogue with that thought um, and, and put it into context you know you could do the pro and con list why it's good why it's bad those kind of things and that requires a lot of compassion too for yourself for yourself yeah. that you know first of all let's not start with the assumption that I'm bad or or a reject or not worth it you know and let's just evaluate the the situation on its face you know, and so journaling is kind of practically one way to do that. For me, what has been very helpful, quite frankly, are photographs. I have a lot of photographs from college. I have a lot of photographs of most people I've dated because I usually ask people I was friends with for a long time, with one exception. So I always had this kind of visual context of, no, look, I, I am a good friend. I am somebody people like. I am somebody, you know, I'm, those photographs tell me a story about myself. So I don't, so this one instance doesn't become, you know, yeah. the, the, the black hole of the entirety of my memory. Right. So for me, photographs are really the way to go. And I think Facebook kind of robs us of that. But, mm. you know, photographs are cheap at Walmart, people. You can get them a 30-pack <laughs> for, you know, less than 10 bucks. So I have, okay, what if, like, you 
literally have never been asked out. Sure. Like what if you like don't have an experience that you can point to where like, well, at least that time someone loved me. <laughs> sure. You, you know, like how how can you go about sort of building your identity without concrete experiences? Well, and so it seems to me that a person in that situation, as with any rejection, you know, either you look two ways. Look to yourself first. Is there something I need to do here? You know, is there some work I need to do? Although I'll be honest, I know a number, especially, you know, intelligent, beautiful women who have just literally never been asked out, you know, um, and their 30s roll along and they've just never been asked out, which, you know, is astounding. So it happens, absolutely. And what I think, you know, the, the path there is, you know, again, one of two. Either they get to be proactive, you know, which the modern culture is big on. You know, the woman gets to be very proactive and go ask someone. And then face feminine, feminine nuances go into telling a guy they're interested. I don't know. I've done it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I... I it, growing up, I would have been against it. The older I get, the more I think men are dumb. Come on, ladies. But anyways, we could debate that. That's a whole other topic. <laughs> the, the other reality is back to your, your quote there. Um, you know, you actually do have a tremendous experience of love in your life. You have your family. You have your, what friends you do have. You have the fact that the Creator and the Savior and the Sanctifier spend every moment of their existence thinking about you and desiring nothing but what is good for you and what it what will make you better. So, well, can you talk about I, this? Might be a little uh, out of the blue, kind of a question, but like, do you have any thoughts on what if people just really don't feel God's love? Sure. Sure, it, and it's not always or or even necessarily a, a felt experience. Yeah. It is. Cause I think it's dangerous to just be a felt experience, too. Right. I do, too. Yeah. Um, I, but no. but it's, sometimes, too, it's like if you're so deep in that shame, it like the love like literally, can't, like you can't even really allow it into your mind as a possibility that you might be loved. You know, it, some, sometimes it can be, it can take so much of a hold of us. No, I agree. And and that's that's really the power of sorrow and anger is that both are, tr in, in the emotional universe, they're tremendously strong. And, um, you know, St. Thomas has some line that, you know, the, these two most of all fit the definition of an emotion because they move us, you know. Mm. Oh, motion. Sor yeah, oh. sorrow pulls us down and anger pushes us towards, uh, you know, to blow up at things. Yes. Um, yeah, so, it, yeah, they're both kind of a coming out of oneself to, to mm. movere, to move, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they're powerful emotions and, and the most powerful, and they do drive from us the thoughts and the memories and even the imagination of love and, and, the, and the possibility of it, such that as a consequence, we can't feel loved um, in that moment. And, and so there, I mean, with sorrow, if you're going to deal with that, there's, you know, I, just to quote St. Thomas, there's a good nap, a bath, and some exercise, you know? Um, I think he says red wine, but the point is to get the heart moving. Um, so, and, and, I'll take the red wine. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, actually, he, actually, he did. Like, It's like mis misattributed to him it? that he said wine. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I got in trouble for that, for using that as in a meme. <gasps> well, it's too mm. bad. And then I had like the <laughs> Facebook Inquisition come after me. I'm going to look that up because I... Uh, I remember very vividly a philosophy class we us reading that passage, but I'll I'll, I'll because look that somebody up. somebody came at me with the they're like oh he alludes to wine but it's not a direct quote or what, I don't know oh, but on. look it up go ahead look I know I was, was like why do, wanna, come on. why do you want to ruin everybody's day <laughs> precisely um, and well and he's what he's doing there is he's quoting Augustine and Augustine certainly would have said red wine so anyways um, so it's cool, it's cool. I, it, well the, I mean fathers love their on, red wine. on a physiological context the point is to get the heart moving because mm. sorrow weighs one down mm. and so yeah a run is a, the other trick right you know if you want to run over red wine that's your problem but yeah don't do those know. together it's oh, not dear. it's not a good yeah that's not yeah <laughs> what is it those beer runs i can't understand oh, that. I would can. be a thing. <laughs> but i like both those things but not together so so you know yeah, if you're dealing with sorrow or anger so intensely that your thoughts aren't having the effect that they're... And, and that's really... 
in my mind, that's one of the great challenges of the spiritual life is that, you know, a good chunk of the spiritual life is um, reshaping your thoughts so that your emotions follow. Yeah. And that's why, you know, God comes to us in a book. He comes to us in written word. He doesn't come to us in, um, not all the time, in, 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 well, I guess music would be the way that if he were coming just to affect our emotions, strictly to shape our emotions, he would come to us probably in some form of music, mm. which I suppose he does in kind of the, the music of nature that one experiences. When there's birds at my bird feeder and not squirrels trying to destroy it, uh, you hear the music of nature. You know, and then it comes obviously in, in liturgical setting, those texts are put to music. But God comes to us first and foremost as the word, trying to shape our intellect, trying to, to, you know, such that our emotions follow. You know, I don't want to exclude the emotions from this. You know, we're we, body and soul in heaven one day, our emotions are going to be over the top and fantastic. You know, the, the joy there will outweigh every sorrow, right, and wipe away every tear. But... So that's, you know, kind of, I guess the, the two parts of that, Mary Ashley, would be, you know, you got to deal with the overwhelming emotion. So with sorrow, you get yourself moving with anger, you get the energy out. So both require kind of, you know, exercising, uh, perhaps literally of the emotion. And then after that, you get to reshape your narrative around the situation or understand the situation and then attack the narrative you have. And that's from journaling. For me, it's, you know, going back over photo albums is a good trigger. But for somebody who's never been asked out, perhaps they're being challenged to kind of, to, to borrow Anna Freud's term, to sublimate, to move that desire to a higher object, so mm. to God, um, or to a different object. Um, mm. So one of the challenges I give to myself, but also to my single clients, is if you, if you have a lack of, if you're not loving anybody in your life, you got to go out there and give love to people who don't have it. So I work at a soup kitchen two, three times a month. I take some clients pro bono. You know, I do good things for other people that if I were married, I probably wouldn't have the time to do. Mm -hmm. So I'm being challenged to, first of all, receive love from God and strictly God at this point and my mom and, you know, my family. But to also go out and express love in ways I wouldn't be able to otherwise. Mm -hmm. So, and I think Anna Freud calls that sublimation, where you you move that natural desire to a different object, mm -hmm. you know. And the idea is a higher object, yeah. but a different object. I think. So mm -hmm. I don't know. And if, have you found fulfillment in that? Has it worked? Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly not the same experience as one would have with a lover by any stretch of the imagination, but. Um, in time, it becomes as fulfilling, or at least I imagine it's as fulfilling. It certainly is fulfilling to me. Whether it's as fulfilling is a different question, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's and it does take a little practice, right? Because you know, homeless people are um, thankful, but it's not the love of a spouse. You know, it's a different kind of response. Mm -hmm being faithful to my daily practice of prayer or reading scripture or attending liturgy, you know, it's not the same as, you know, the embrace of someone who loves you. It is, it's, it's an intellectual, it's a spiritual experience um, and occasionally emotional experience. But yeah, in time it does fulfill and it, and it will, God willing, you know, because he's infinite goodness, fulfill me all the more. Right. And, and, you know, in a way that's kind of, that's part of the point of married life, is it not that, you know, this relationship is going to help me in my relationship to God, you know, by, you know, kind of with or through this person, I'm going to come closer to the divine. Um, at the moment, I just get to do that by myself. So, you know, and with my friends and, and yes, I, I experience fulfillment in that. Yeah. So, but it's, it's certainly not the same. And I think, um, and I think this actually is a mistake a lot of religious make who enter monastery or convent. There is this idea that by giving this up, I'm going to find something better. And if by something better, I mean it's going to feel just as awesome. No, you're deluding yourself. You know, it's not as emotional or as felt an experience as married life is. And, and you know, just to kind of 
head off an objection at the pass here. That's not to say religious life isn't intellectually or spiritually fulfilling. You know, getting to know another person is an amazing thing. And to get to know them better and to get to know them as they change and to be with them on that journey is an amazing thing without a doubt. Um, But I think it's I hope it's not controversial to say that there is just a lot more emotion involved there and a lot more joy and a lot more sorrow involved in that relationship than with the relationship of a single person serving food to poor people, you know? Maybe. Perhaps. Maybe. I mean, I think, you know, some um, some thoughts that uh, as we're wrapping up, uh, marriage isn't the goal, right? Um, sanctification, as we said that earlier, you know, and, and to have God to be our, our final fulfillment and to be our ultimate fulfillment, whether single, married, divorced, you know, that should be our eyes on Jesus should be the goal, right? It's not easy to do, no. but we when we feel rejection, when we feel depression, um, Scripture calls us to take every thought captive, right? So where are we, like we were saying earlier, like how are we replacing those thoughts? We're replacing those thoughts with Scripture, with prayer, like you were saying, Daniel, and to remind ourselves, to encourage ourselves with the gospel and to root ourselves in the gratitude of the mercy of somebody that does love us enough to death and to remind ourselves of that, which, again, is not easy to do when you're in a place where you feel so dejected by man. I mean, not just men, but like mankind. So I appreciate the the practical things that you have said, especially when it comes to saying that like ultimately it's it's our connection to the creator who loves us, what you said earlier, that we should remind ourselves. And with the community that we have is to to tell each other constantly and remind ourselves constantly, each other constantly that we are so beloved. My husband and I were having this conversation even just this week with some friends who were asking, like, why would why would God let me go through depression? And, you know, I, I feel so isolated and so alone. I know on an intellectual level God is there, but I, I can't feel him sometimes. And I can't I wish I can remember who quoted it, but something that's been stuck with me for the last several months, I heard it on a podcast, uh, but it's saying that like your feelings are real that doesn't make them true so when very good when i yeah when i when i feel sorrow when i feel rejected when i feel less than those are real feelings and it's it's important to acknowledge those and when you're talking to somebody that's going through depression it's it's important to acknowledge man that sucks and you know i want to hug you and you know i'm here with you through your depression or or whatever it is um but that doesn't mean that you are less than that you need that you should be shamed you are feeling shame that doesn't mean that it's true right god has loved you and redeemed you and we need to keep reminding because you know people are stupid i i'm so stupid because i forget every moment when i when i burst out in anger out of my technology not working it's so easy to forget like wait god God came to earth to die and redeem me. I shouldn't <laughs> I shouldn't right. be this mad about right. a stupid piece of machinery, right? But I still do it because I'm still human. But um I want yeah, and I would like to sort of piggyback on that like of as we sort of accept the love of God also I mean, I don't want to be that person who's like, well, God has a plan, but like, he does. <laughs> but he does. I mean, well, it's true. Or yeah. at, least, at least, you know, I think we can take solace in the knowledge that God knows us and knows our lives, and there is someone that is not us that is sort of at the helm of our life. So it's, we can't really just be like, well, I'm just going to ruin my life, apparently. Um, and, that has been one thing that has personally helped me. I think that personally, I think I'm handling rejection better these days. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> thank you. But part part of it is also um, getting closer to God in the present moment and knowing, you know, that God is in charge and really God is in the present moment always. And so that's all that I can really do is focus on 
what is going on now. Cause I think half of rejection is losing like the hopes and dreams that you have. Like when you meet someone Indeed. and you're like, Oh wow, they could be like amazing. Yeah. And then all of a the sudden you're picturing like yeah. your house and your mm. kids yeah. and you know, well, uh-huh. I want it... yes. sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And so I think like keeping in mind, like, well, maybe that would be a great future and maybe that person would be great and for some reason that's just not going to work out right now so i but i can focus on all of these other things that god has given me to do yeah. right now indeed yeah to to quote a very wise man my husband um when we were having these conversations with our friends um he he brought up a good exercise similar to what you were saying daniel like journaling and even praying um, he he said like you know when I when I'm faced because that's what the enemy does he lies to us or he wants us to be fed into he, he feeds us these lies that we tell ourselves like I am less than I I'm I'm being rejected because I'm I'm not good enough for this I don't make enough money I'm not pretty enough I'm like whatever it is um so Derek my husband um says you know in those times. I try to remind myself of the things that are true mm-hmm. and things like, you know, I have a family that loves me. I have these friends that are so awesome. I, you know, I have, I have a God who created me, who knew me and knit me from in my womb, in the womb and has loved me since then and has loved me enough to, to die for me. And, you know, we have a hope in that. Like, so just naming off the things that are true and they could be as, you know, as small, seemingly small as like, I'm so glad I have this house to keep me warm. Mm-hmm. Well, being warm right now is like, <laughs> like warm, give me my AC. No, no, no. The better illustration is like, thank God for my AC, right? Like, just to be grateful for the things that we do have, to be grateful for things that are true and to try to lay our foundation on the gospel because that is the truest thing of all, right? of our identity our identity needs to be rooted in that because otherwise it's so easy like you were saying to just get led astray by all the things that we see others that are accomplishing more than me that are you know have better lives than me that are having children and I'm not having children that are married that I'm not married or whatever Mm -hmm. and but in the end it's it's what you guys were saying like keep our eyes focused on God and again again I can't emphasize enough it's not easy because our humanness that's why we have each other. That's why I have we Indeed. have Daniel Indeed. and I have you, Mary Ashley, and uh, we have to remind ourselves that we are going through a lot of the same things. And I love podcasts like like yours and ours, where hopefully we are being real with real life things, and that's where we can encourage each other in the vulnerability that we share with each other. I was listening to a podcast just this week, and uh, they were talking about community and how sadly we're not really growing in our churches um like on a sunday like a traditional sunday right because we're not being vulnerable and there's no exchange of Mm. ideas or Mm -hmm. confession to one another like like the scriptures encourage us to do but in something like aa where people are going and like are like super broken i mean we all are but aa is a place where you can just you know lay out everything and people relate to you and you feel like as c.s lewis said you know in that moment like that friendship begins at that oh you too mm-hmm. and yeah we need more of that and you know mary ashley hopes that this podcast is part of that talking about the the really hard issues that maybe the church doesn't know how to express not that we necessarily know how but we know how to you know tell the stories we that are out there yeah. we have our experiences <laughs> and in in the oh wow i experienced that too like i think there's so much comfort in knowing that we are all in this together and when you feel rejected, know that there are other people going through that. And maybe it's a small comfort, maybe it's a big comfort, but people are going through the same thing and we need each other. Well said, ladies. <laughs> well said. Any final thoughts? I particularly love um, the appeal to God's providence. The, uh, he has a plan. Um and and I totally recognize though that is not the most helpful thing to tell anybody. Yeah, in, choose your choose in the your moment timing. in the moment of sorrow. It's not going to m- remove the sorrow. No, um, but in in kind of the aftermath, you know, God. We, in in Thomistic thought, we distinguish between God's permissive will and God's active will. Mm-hmm. And you know, God permits only those things which will lead to the perfection of the universe. 
Now, that's not necessarily a great comfort because the perfection of the universe doesn't necessarily mean the perfection of me. Um, but, you know, at the very least, you could take comfort that your rejection in this moment is part of the perfection of the universe and the glory of God. And, um, well, the dog is thirsty. Is too loud? Hopefully. Okay. Um, There's a dog in the room, guys. Deal with it. It's very, fine. Very good. Um, but, you know, and odds are if I'm, I'm working with God's will and I'm daily leading that life, I am, I too am part of the perfection of that universe, and I will get to participate in that um, and, and truly, you know, love God and everyone I've ever met to a degree that I don't love them now, to, to yeah. a greater degree yeah. than I even love them now. So this is the joy of heaven we get to look forward to, I think. Amen. Hmm. Well, well nice. said. Good last words. Thank, thank you, you ladies. So much thank you so much, Daniel. I hope we can have you back again. Anytime. <laughs> That'd be lovely, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. All right, thanks. Thank you for listening to our podcast. This has been another episode of Fishers of Men. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please email us at fishersofmenpodcast at gmail.com or find us on our website at fishersofmenpodcast.com. We are also on Facebook under Fishers of Men. Follow us on Twitter at at LA Gone Fishing or on Instagram at Fishers of Men Podcast. There is an underscore after each word. Please also remember to rate and make comments on iTunes if you feel so inclined. It's really important so that other people can discover our podcast. I'm Larson Sams. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. Until next time.